If you will, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13. I'm only going to read one verse. So really, you wouldn't think it wouldn't take that long, would you? There's a lot, though, that can be, you can get out of one verse. Matthew 13, we'll read verse 44. I've been studying on the parables, and don't know if this will be um, turned into a series or not, but this is the, the first one that God has led me to to preach on this subject tonight. And uh, we can learn a lot from these little stories uh, that God tells us. Um, And so we'll get into more about that here in just a little bit. But we will read one verse again. That's verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. The words in red. So for those of you that may be new to church or maybe uh, a young Christian or just don't understand the Bible, the words in red are very important because that is the words of Christ. And so anytime you see the words in red, if your Bible does not have, I know some King James Bibles do not have red letters, uh, red words, uh, but I, I would suggest you get one of those just to have with you. It would help you study and, and know um, who is talking. So Jesus speaking here in verse 44 says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth. I know where I'm going, so I'm already getting blessed. So you just pray for me. I can get to where I'm going. And for and joy, therefore, goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. That's it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. I have, I have heard and also I have probably even said it through the years, um, likened this passage and this parable to us as that man that finds the treasure. And when we find something so good, we want to buy the field and everything that goes with it. Because when we find Jesus, right, we find a treasure. And, uh, but upon further inspection and upon further study, that's quite the opposite of what this verse is about. And my eyes have been enlightened, and I hope that what I share tonight will help you to enlighten you as well. Uh, The language of Matthew is different than any other of the gospel writers. The language of Matthew is very political in that he refers to Jesus Christ as the king, the king of the Jews. You'll find that terminology in the book of Matthew a lot. And so if Jesus is a king, then that means that he has a kingdom and he is over, he's the king of that kingdom. Now the words kingdom of heaven uh, are found only in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Revelation, but the kingdom of heaven, you also find the kingdom of God. That's also found in other gospel accounts, but the kingdom of heaven specifically is found 33 times in the book of Matthew alone. So it's very important and why Jesus would want us to know about the kingdom of heaven. First of all, let, we got to understand what the kingdom is. Actually, let me be more specific, who the kingdom is. Uh, the kingdom was not a ge- geographical location. It was not a social group. It was not even a political group. Jesus gives us this answer. It's actually found in Luke chapter 17, verse 21. His disciples were wanting to know more about the kingdom. And Jesus said to his disciples, the kingdom is within you. So if you want to know where the kingdom is at, the kingdom is in our hearts. 
if you have Christ as your savior. If you are a blood-bought child of God, the kingdom of heaven is in your heart. It is within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you because wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom is. And so the, the kingdom of heaven is in our hearts. So if, if we understand that, then we also understand that in our hearts is where the kingdom is so we can live our life according to his rule and to his reign. So that way we can right, live for him righteously. That way we can follow him in the way he wants us to go. And we can do that when we understand that he has rule and reign over that kingdom. So let me, let me put it to you this way. There are some benefits of having a kingdom. And the kingdom is that we have a king. That's one of the major, major benefits. So if we are the kingdom, if the kingdom lives within inside us, that means we have a king ruling and reigning over us. And if we have a king over us, that means we don't have to be concerned about our own welfare. That means the king is taking care of us. <laughs> I think Matthew also said something about this. Well, when Jesus said himself, take no thought for the morrow. Take no thought of where you're going to drink or where you're going to eat or wherewithal you shall be clothed because if you seek ye first the kingdom, A plus, the kingdom of God, that all these things will be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. He was wanting us to understand, we don't have to worry. If we are part of the kingdom of heaven, we have a king, his name is Jesus, and he is taking care of us. Amen. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Because King Jesus is helping us. So Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection secured his Messiahship. And because of that, it established his kingdom. And in order to illustrate this kingdom better, Matthew uses little stories. They are recorded of Christ and they are known as parables. In fact, there are seven parables alone in the book of Matthew chapter 13. There are seven parables and I, and I trust you'll go home and read those this week. But he uses these parables about the subject of the kingdom of heaven, seven of them, in fact, in Matthew chapter 13 alone. You say, Brian, what is a parable? A parable, the word para in the Greek means beside. So what he's doing, he's taking two things, putting them beside each other to explain, to elaborate on something or to bring out the meaning of something. So basically a parable is simply this. It's a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so when he's describing these parables, think of it in that direction. So we have to understand, uh, as we go in verse 44 here, he, he gives us this parable. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. So a story, he gives us a story. There's a man walking in a field. Whether he's working in the field, we don't know. Whether he's walking it, we don't know. But anyway, he is in a field. And he, in this field, he finds a treasure. And that treasure means so much to him that he digs it up, he keeps it. And he sells all that he has and goes and buys the field that he found the treasure in. First of all, I want you to notice the dirt. The dirt. The word field in the Greek means agros. That's where we get our word agriculture from. 
So we understand if we can look at it and study a little bit deeper, this field is not just some field we see out there with hay growing or anything like that. It's actually would indicate it's a cultivated field. It's something that's been used, it's been worked with. Whatever the situation, it's, it's been cultivated, it's dirty. Anytime you see a field, that's what you mostly think, especially one that's been cultivated or used for gardening or used for planting or sowing seed. And he talks about sowing seed earlier in this chapter. So we have to assume he's talking about a field that's been cultivated. It's dirty. Now, first thing I want you to notice about this dirt and about this parable is simply this. Some things of great value can be found in dirty places. You say, Brian, I don't understand what you're saying. Well, let me, let me first go back and tell you the characters in this parable. The field is the world. There, there's a, there, there's a, um, a thing in, in, when you're studying the Bible, it's called the um, exposition of constancy. What, what, uh, what that really means is, or consistency, what that means is when you see something earlier in Scripture, it carries that same pattern throughout scripture. So the field in these parables always represents the world, okay? The treasure is not Christ. The treasure is you. The treasure is me. The man is Christ. So when you think of it this way, the man, who's the man? Jesus. He goes into the field, the field is the world. When he goes into the world, he finds a treasure. Who's the treasure? When he goes and finds that treasure, he sells all that he has and goes and buys the field <laughs> where he found the treasure. So let me go over point number one again, which is the dirt. Some valuable things can be found in dirty places. <laughs> again, what's the field? the world. Who's the treasure? It's us. May I remind you, you weren't always in this place tonight that you're sitting. You were once in a dirt, in a God forsaken world that no one loved you. No one cared for you. You thought you were in a place that no one could get to you, but thank God the God of heaven came down to seek and to save that which was lost and thank God he found you in the field of this world. The treasure, the one he came for. He came for you. In fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You are a treasure. But you were found in dirty places. The diamonds are found in the deepest, darkest coal mines. Gold can be found in deep mud and, and clay and you have to pan for it, you have to dig for it. That's where gold is found. Silver is found down deep in this world. I believe David said, thank God, hallelujah. He said, I waited patiently on the Lord. He inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a solid rock and established my going. How many of you remember when you were in the dirt of this world and you were just kicked over? You were walked over. No one no one looked. They may have found you, but they walked right over you. But hallelujah, someone came and found you and took you as their possession. Aren't you glad Jesus found the treasure? You're the treasure. 
that he found. So that means when the world looks at us, they can't judge us by the wrapper. (laughs) Because there's something on the inside that they don't see. We are a treasure to God. You can't judge a gift by the wrapper, can you? Here in a few weeks, you're all going to be getting together for some Christmas parties. And most of you will probably get together and do those stupid white elephant gifts. Can we move on from that, please? Mostly because I get stupid gifts and I don't know what to do with them except re-gift them the next year. I got to thinking, where in that world did that start? Well, you go to the greatest source of all, Al Gore's internet. The older ones will get that. But it's to believe that there was a king long ago that is now in the, in the country of India. And people he didn't like, he would give an elephant to them as a gift. Then they would have to take care of it. That's where they say it came from. I don't know if it's true, but it just goes to show you, it's stupid. If you don't know what a white elephant gift is, it's simply this. People will buy a lot of money and, and, and get expensive wrapping paper and wrap up a beautiful gift and they bring it into your party and you open it up and inside is just junk. And they'll, they'll try to be kind and put a $5 gift card with it like, that it like that helps. It doesn't help. It's a time waster. Just give me the gift. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm not a screw. I just don't like white elephant gifts and I don't like glitter. But anyway, I'll move on. But the whole, the whole premise in that game is you can't judge the gift by the wrapper. Because it always turns out to be something that the outside didn't proclaim it to be. But aren't you thankful that God looked past the wrapper of this world <laughs> and he saw something that no one else could see. Everybody else just saw a field full of dirt. But hallelujah, Jesus saw a treasure. Amen. The dirt. Secondly, notice the destiny. The destiny. Jesus found the treasure just in time. We have no idea how long that treasure was there. We have no idea how long it had laid in that dirt. We had no idea if people walked over it, walked around it, mowed over it. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know how long it had laid there in that condition. But it didn't matter because the man found the treasure just when it needed to be found. (laughs) That's what's called the destiny of the almighty God and the spirit of almighty God. Just when you think you couldn't be found and just when you think no one cared or loved you, Jesus found you just in time. Some of you were at your wit's end. Some of you were about ready to take your life. Some of you were in a jail cell. Some of you thought there is no way I could ever get out of the situation I'm in. But hallelujah, Jesus walked by and he passed by and he found you just in time and changed your destiny forever. Aren't you glad for a God that's always on time? Amen. Amen. Oh, I got to move on. The dirt, the destiny. Third, notice this, the delight. Now remember, who's, what's the world? The dirt, the field. Who's the treasure? Us. Who's the man? Jesus. Jesus Christ. So it says, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. 
the delight. It says that this man, when he found the treasure, it brought joy to his life. He delighted that he had found this treasure. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us about God, that he will rejoice over thee with joy. So that means that we are so precious to God that he delights in the fact that he finds us in that deep miry clay and brings us out of that condition and sets our feet to walk in newness of life and he changes us forever. He delights in that. It, it, it makes him happy to know that someone has came to him. Amen. Amen. And you say, Brian, why would you say that? Because he found something with value. And when you think, think of it this way, when you find something with value, that actually should add value to you. Okay? So if it has value to it, it will bring value to you. So if God has found a treasure and it has value, therefore the treasure should bring value to the one that possesses it. I'll run over that one more time. If he has found something with value that means something to him, it will in turn bring value back to the one that possesses it. So the treasure has not only been found, and not only does he rejoice that he found it, but hallelujah, the treasure should be able to give value back to the owner. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is, let me ask you this question. Are you an asset or are you a liability? If you are a liability to God, that means you're not bringing value to him. You said, right, how do I bring value to him? You bring value to him by giving all your burdens and cares to him. You bring value to him when you come to the house of God. You bring value to him when you worship his name. You bring value to him when you understand that he alone, and beside him there is none other. He's the one and only, he's the true king. You bring value to God just by living for him. So are you an asset or are you a liability? Ask yourself that question, especially these next few weeks. Not only these next few weeks, but every week we should do it. Every day we should bring, we should be an asset back to Christ. But in these next few weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to show people Jesus. Almost, uh, I think, over 4,000 came to the caves this weekend. On a busy weekend, Black Friday. High State, Michigan, which it didn't matter. Oh, we all need prayer. <laughs> but busy weekend and still thousands of people came. The stack of needs that were left by them over the weekend. We have an opportunity to be an asset to Christ by showing them who Jesus is. Thousands of people don't know who Jesus is, but they will, they will know, but it's up to us. The delight, the destiny, the dirt. But finally, notice the divinity. The, you say, where, where's the divinity at? It's in the last part of that. And selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. So when Jesus found the treasure and knew that there was a treasure in the field, what's the field? The world. What's, who's the treasure? Us. When Jesus, when God saw the treasure and he saw that it needed to be purchased, 
He sent his son to find the treasure. He found the treasure. And when he found it, he sold, gave all that he had to go and buy the whole field. Now, I also didn't understand this or really understand what this really meant. I thought, I thought that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking humanly, if I find a treasure in a field, well, duh, I'm going to go by that field because there's probably more treasure in it, right? That would make sense. But I don't think that's really what this means. Because you got to understand the customs. You got to understand who Jesus is talking to. When someone finds something in a field, the only way to possess the treasure is to possess the field where he found it. Because anybody can come back on him later and say, wait a minute, did you find something in that field? Yeah, I found something. It's a treasure. I found it. No, you've got to give it to me because I'm the one that owns the field. So what Jesus did, hang on. When he found the treasure, he gave all that he had to buy the field so that way no one could come and take it away. (laughs) That should excite you more than it did. Because that means when the devil comes back around, because he is the prince of this world, by the way. So when he comes back around and says, that one belongs to me, that one belongs to me, that one belongs, you found it in the field of this world. He said, nope, I gave all to pay for this field and it all belongs to me. The Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Hallelujah. So when the devil comes knocking, thank God God can send him on his way because he don't own the field. (laughs) And that should give you excitement too to know that no one can take your salvation away from you. No man can take it away from you. Nobody can take it away from you. You can willfully give it up, but you cannot, it cannot be taken from you, folks. Amen. When God did it, he did it once and he did it for all. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And I think we need to understand sometimes we're too soft on that, but we need to understand there is security in the fact that we know God is our personal savior. We don't have to walk around in fear of somebody taking it away. It can't be taken away because God owns it. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. Amen. It's good preaching. I don't care who you are. He did it all just for you. He gave it all just for you. You're the treasure. You may not feel like much. You may feel like you're just in the dirt, not worth anything of value. But God says there's something there. And I gave my life for it. Amen. The dirt, the destiny, the delight, the divinity. God gave it all for you. So why don't you just give it all to him? Amen. Amen. For those of you that have the kingdom of God in your heart and he has found you and you've surrendered your life to him, it's great knowing that we can come up on seasons like we're getting ready to and fully understand what it means to be a child of God. For those of you that don't know Christ as your Savior, I beg of you, make this the night that you become a part of the kingdom of heaven. And you can be. He already knows where you're at. He gave it all just for you. 
You just got to come and say, Lord, here I am. 